in what we will hope will be a time warp free adventure. This time around, this is V'ger Please, a hateful voyage for the Delta Quadrant. I am Joseph. I'm Peter. And Peter, I, I, I'm really happy we were able to get through Bumpy Seas last time with that, that uh, space butthole, you know, consuming us and causing that time dilation. Yeah, that sucked. We, uh, we learned some, we learned some, I don't know, podcast lessons in that last episode for sure. Yeah, I mean, we, so just to peel back the, uh, the curtain, just a touch for our loyal listeners, um, uh, we're obviously not in the same place recording this. We're doing this through a, a software called Zencaster that allows us to interact more or less in real time and it works for the most part except when one of us has a network problem and we lost like half the podcast at least 40 uh, minutes of your dialogue specifically mine was fine it's yours we were missing so we had to to redo it but uh i honestly think it worked out kind of bizarrely strangely well because we're able to sort of extrapolate on what we decided to talk about well we'll see uh how the crowds react once those go live Oh, you know, the people love us, Peter. It's just impressive. <laughs> you counting Reddit in there, too? No. Well, I, I – uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> I did uh, I did have something I wanted to talk about headcanon-wise before we got going on the episode. Shoot. As relates to the, the Federation being a decrepit society post-scarcity. Sure. So I was curious, and I went to Memory Alpha's – uh, more neck beardy, uh, uh, smelly cousin, uh, memory beta, which is the the Wikipedia for uh, the semi canon sources. So like all the novels, novels and comic yeah. books and video games and all that stuff. Because I was trying to find if there was a number on the amount of people in the Federation. All right, we saw that big map, right? It's a huge part of the galaxy. I was like, how many people live in the Federation? The number, according to Memory Beta, and I have no idea where this comes from because there's not a there's not a note on it, <laughs> but it seems right when you consider it's uh, the the amount of of planets the Federation encompasses is nine point eight five trillion people. Nine point eight five trillion people. So. 9,000 billion people plus, almost 10,000 billion. So astonishing amount of people live in the Federation. And the Federation Starfleet has, the the amount of ships they have is usually measured in the thousands. So when you put that in context, a tiniest, tiny, tiny fraction of Federation citizens actually bother to be in Starfleet. Well, everything that they've, you know, exposed us to from TNG shows that uh, Starfleet Academy entrance exams are extremely difficult to pass and that, you know, Starfleet only takes the best of the best. Like Wesley goes through what, three rounds of applications and he's like this prodigal wonder kid. Um, and, and it takes him, yeah, like three or four times of applying to Federation uh, Starfleet Academy to get in. Yeah, Nog gets in too, though, and he's by by no stretch uh, the super genius that Wesley is. And yeah, I think we see plenty of characters that seem to be kind of fucky, you know, job doers yeah. at, at best, functionaries that don't don't scream out 
you know, best of the best to me. So I'm wondering if it's more that, you know, when you're living a perfectly content life with absolutely no wants and the ability to create incredibly interactive holographic programs to live whatever your fantasies might be in real time, that people just aren't motivated to go gallivanting across the galaxy to get eaten by, you know, space Hitlers. Sure. Uh, Holodeck technology is new for the Federation. Like, I think the Galaxy class ships were really oh, the right. first ones like, where you really had that stuff going out. And who knows if that technology is even really readily available, you know, at your local community centers or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the old entrance exam stuff with Wesley, you kind of have to throw that to the wayside. That, yeah, there are a lot of stupid, mean bad people who are in Starfleet and they certainly weren't on Wesley's level of uh, intelligence when they got in. You could say, well, maybe there's like a commission versus non-commission guys in there. But at the end of the day, you know, the pre-war Federation had a whole different doctrine. You know, starships were built around exploration and science, not really ships mm -hmm. of war and, you know, Dominion War and Borg War and all that other stuff changes things. Certainly might also relax the numbers or it might encourage other people to sign up for Starfleet or whatever, but you know, Starfleet's not military or isn't supposed to be military at this point or the next gen point, I should say. Uh, and it's not surprising that, you know, their numbers are smaller. What's always interesting to me are the, maybe this is a conversation we should save for uh, the special episode we're going to do where we go off topic on some stuff, but you know, just all these people that basically have to live with the Federation's rules. And then when they don't, Starfleet's limited ability to correct those actions. You know, you got colonists setting up shop where they shouldn't be and all sorts of people who don't want to play by the right rules kind of leads into another question that I had was you look at all the people that the Federation encounters in the very intricate first contact protocols and respecting their rights and not interacting with pre-warp civilizations and all that other stuff. You know, what do you think the Romulans and the Klingons are doing with these guys? You touch on the other thing I was was about to launch into perfectly the considering the relative small size of the federation starfleet versus the size of the federation itself it's no wonder that basically these ships go from hotspot to hotspot 24 hours a day trying to 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 deal with the problems that have cropped up that you know they're they're tasked with dealing with especially when you've got people out on the borders of potentially hostile neighbors hostile uh antagonists that uh, could be fucking with them, and you don't, you won't even know until it's over. Mm -hmm. Even with their ability to communicate relatively swiftly, you'll find out. You'll get someone out there. It could be weeks yeah. before or months before a ship is able to be dispatched to like see what the fuck is going on. So, I think it it adds context to why like the problem of the week thing, right? Like it literally is. Okay, what is the thing we have to go do next week? Oh, now we got to haul ass across the sector and deal with some, you know fucking colonists that decided to go on a moon that was like on a border with some garbage race that's yeah <laughs> that are sentient fungi or something like that it it, it suggests the whole idea that uh federation uh citizens are largely decadent self-absorbed people to be accurate what i meant before though was what you know if you see the rate that the federation is making first contact with new species and stuff the Romulans and the Klingons got to be doing the same thing too. I doubt they have the intricate first contact protocols. You think like Klingons and Romulans are just like 
fuck it, you guys are slaves of the Romulan Star Empire now, and and you're going to be second class citizens, assuming we don't just genocide you for being in a place we didn't want you. Yeah, uh, I mean, you got a good point. Particularly, also the Klingons, they they want to find interesting people and then find out how to kill them. Yeah, um, put them down to the salt just, mines. Yeah, <laughs> or pente. But yeah, even in a no war situation. For the Federation, all is not quite on the Western front. It's, I mean, it's exactly what just laid out. And I think that had the the shows done a better job saying, hey, look how big this is. It's not, you know, by happenstance, we're running into all this zany stuff. It's like, we're a limited good and, uh, you know, we're out there taking care of business. On that note, speaking of Federation technology, I'm very excited to talk about this, uh, this episode's uh, entree into uh, Voyager. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here we are. Got, we're on uh, season one, uh, episode eleven, uh, "Heroes and Demons." My friend, are you hype? No, <laughs> not at all. I uh, I take it, I take it you didn't enjoy it. I'm, I'm getting a sense of non enjoyment from you. Look, if you're going to call your episode "Heroes and Demons," just embrace what you're doing. Embrace your fan base. Just make it a full blown Dungeons and Dragons adventure. Instead of trying to slap it under the pretense of fucking Beowulf. Uh, I'm sure that's public domain and it might be a little easier to write things around that. But I think you could hint pretty easily at a, at a true to form RPG instead of trying to shoehorn a history lesson in there. Well, well, I appreciate that it would have been even more interesting if this was all like Harry Kim's wild D&D fanfic adventure rather than Beowulf. I actually let me put it this way. Is this episode qualitatively good? No. Did I love it? Fuck yes, I did. I loved this. I love this episode. I always love this episode. Is this the one that you it's... call the best holodeck episode? No. Oh, no, no. That's Bride of Chaotica. We don't see that for several yeah. years. And that's that's uh, that's unqualified good stuff. This this is just one I like because it's just so fucking cheesy. And I like cheese. I in In, in the right amount, I love it. And this had some quality fucking cheese in it. Well, let's give it a shot. Let's uh, let's talk this one out. Oh, you are so not enthusiastic about this. Like, I can tell now. I can tell by the tenor of your voice, like when when your nerd engines are engaged and you're ready to really dive deep. Right now, I'm getting the Peter that is like, I'm going to slog through this for the next 45 to 50 minutes because I'm obligated to do so as part of the parameters of this podcast. Uh, perhaps. <laughs> Stuff goes on in this episode that touches on some very deep conversations, some very deep and nerdy conversations I've had with my friends. And uh, I can draw some pretty horrific lines here by the end that, that I think I will do. Good. As long as we can we can roll around in the mud in the way that you want to, I feel better. So let's start with these uh, space lava lamps. <laughs> so the show open is that they're at a pro- protostar, and they're uh, getting these uh, what they call photonic energy pieces out of the 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 protostar that they think that they can science into some some ship upgrades some energy conversion do you know techno babble help the ship do things better let stuff me, let me stop you there we're looking at a 15 to 20 percent performance or whatever energy increase if this photonic matter works as well as i think it could boost the efficiency of our power converters 15 percent. i'd say more like 20 what did she lose when she went after coffee 11 percent. gosh was it was it? I think it was like it was eleven percent the first time, and I think by the end they were down like twenty five percent. She did not learn her lesson. 
leave the shit alone. Just fly the ship straight and do not divert light years to go try and fish a, a fingernail clippings worth of energy here and there because you're just going to lose and you're going to lose every time. Learn the lesson. <laughs> so she flies them off and, and they're just beaming shit down and, you know, the nerve center of engineering and uh, from from out of space into little containers like again two this is like a eye of the needle they're they're beaming space nonsense directly in front of their faces like man you really got to trust these uh transporter systems you're working with to to just ensure it's going to be a pinpoint delivery every time also right next to the warp core you absolutely know, yeah the giant explosive device that propels them mm-hmm. no big deal but you know hey do we got the uh transporter crack shot sniper on the console or do we have some guy who fucks up and you know misfires we have <laughs> no seska was good with the transporter i mean she was so good with the transporter that nobody could stop her with the transporter twice <laughs> she did murder a bunch of uh of those trans-dimensional aliens who thought that they were going to like jesus land but weren't so yeah. she's got some black marks on her record too mm-hmm in any case, they beaming this stuff on, and um, Balana is like the first one doesn't completely take. Uh, they they have a problem with their confinement beam, and they have to basically pluck another energy glob out of the star. And immediately after doing that, Janeway is kind of nerding out with her about what they're going to be able to do with uh, with researching these. And Balana mentions it's going to take me six hours to get it done. In keeping with the continuity of last episode, Janeway takes that at face value and decides to call in extra help so that she can have it sooner and decides to to call up Harry Kim because Harry's off duty and Janeway thinks that somehow she can persuade him to to do some extra nerd shit. So Janeway's learning her crew. You know, she's understanding what motivates these people and nothing nothing gets Harry Kim's attention faster than some deep nerd talk uh, with uh, – with the captain and the chief engineer, like this is gonna this is gonna get him interested. Well, before we move on, so they do the first round of proto lava lamp beaming in or whatever. It was two at the same time, and one of those, you know, they they all oh, the confinement beam wasn't good enough, and then they beam in a third, so they have two full samples. Like right off the bat, man, they show that misfire, and I'm like, okay, what's this missing proto molecule gonna start, you know, doing to the ship? And and like it was like the whole plot was just out immediately to me this stuff's kind of standard though you know yeah this is normal star trek plot like tng did this all the time sure i don't know they're just check off gunning it real hard here for what's supposed to be the big reveal at the end it's like all right i I don't yeah i get your point i get your point like it does seem like from the beginning they give you this big old hint that this stuff is not just stuff but a thing here it is spoiler alert the energy go- globs are people. It, it, it's they're sentient, and so this turns into a whole well, shit show of first contact, blah blah blah. But I, I think that it's that's essentially parallax strange. again was parallax, and where they flew into Nebula Space Baby. No, Nebula Space Baby was what was that called? It was it was the Tom Paris uh, masturbation fantasy. Yeah, whatever. So they're pairing up uh, anytime that. The- the Voyager unintentionally harms space babies. The holodeck must be involved. We'll see if this hypothesis holds true on future holodeck episodes. Jane Wake tries to call Harry up, say, hey, I got nerd shit for you to do. He doesn't respond. She thinks that's odd. 
tries to like ask computer, hey, where's Harry? And, and the computer says, well, I, I don't know. He's not on the ship. And they're all of a sudden like, what, do you, what the fuck do you mean not on the ship? We're in the middle of fucking nowhere. Why does the ship not immediately alert somebody anytime someone disappears? Because this seems to be a fairly frequent thing that happens. And I would think that between, you know, Maki terrorists trying to beam off and do their Cardassian agendas and kidnapping aliens and everything else, at some point, someone would be like, hey, look, if someone leaves here and it is not in a Federation shuttle or in a Federation transporter beam that is authorized, like, go ahead and run that up the chain for us. You and and my wife, uh, Stevie, had the exact same response to this this moment. Because she said, why wouldn't the computer just fucking tell you when this happens? <laughs> it knows where everyone is. Mm-hmm. It's watching you all the time. Computer's a so dick. If someone just, so, so just someone just vanishes. Why isn't it like, uh, hey, uh, Harry Kim's gone. FYI. But, you know, that way, if we did that, then you wouldn't be able to have the dramatic reveal where suddenly your actors are looking you know, in the middle distance past the camera uh, dramatically in with a with a look of disbelief. So we got to have that. They have a little confab at the Tuvok station on the bridge where they're trying to figure out what the fuck happened. And they deduce rather quickly that Harry was in the holodeck because he had holodeck time scheduled and they can't really see what's going on inside the holodeck right now. So they decide to go check it out. I love the scene of Tuvok and Chakotay like hunched over this this wall console and like Tuvok's putting multiple fingers on L cars and, and I'm watching it and my, you know, Nate's in the room with me. It's very clear that like he's doing like the control alt delete on the console, like trying to bring up task manager and see if he could just like <laughs> force close holodeck.exe. It doesn't work though. He gets blue, blue screen of deaths. Yeah. Uh, they got to go in. They got to go into the stuck ass holodeck. Um, they don't discuss the possibility of simply turning it off, like pulling the plug. They never do. They just decide they never do this entire episode. There's nothing that would prevent them from just turning the holodeck off and then going in and be like, all right, let's go solve this problem without a bunch of fucking, you know, D&D bullshit we have to go through. No, no, that that would, of course, eliminate the whole premise of the episode. So instead of unplugging it, I'm sure at some point they're like, oh, you know, the controls are fused and we can't deactivate or some other horse shit. I'm going to tell you what, man, if I was a captain in Starfleet, post-galaxy class i would be on whatever starfleet captain's facebook group or or whatever thing is out there for me to talk to my peers and i would bitch up and down the wall about the holodecks you know know, we talk about the first time we we mention it calling them danger rooms it's like (laughs) these fucking things every three days it's like eating somebody up or you know AI, rogue AIs taking over the ship or guys are getting hurt with safety protocols or people in there cheating on their wives and husbands. Like what a terrible distraction that is so dangerous. And like in the Delta Quadrant, like how much shit is Janeway going to put up with out of this thing where she's like, you know what? We got bigger fish to fry. I'm done with this thing that only seems to be here to punish and trick us. Let's just turn it off. I know we got plenty of energy for it, but we're just going to turn it off and keep some boxes in there. It's gonna be it's gonna be that storage room. Mm-hmm. You could do something else with it, but you're not. Yeah. Because the storage <laughs> I, uh, room tries to kill you sometimes. I'm just amused by the idea of all the Starfleet captains having a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. They're sharing memes. <laughs> you know what's a, what's a Starfleet captain meme? Are they are they just big advocates of uh, reaction gifts? 
you know, ran into a subspace anomaly in my face be like. The ongoing joke would have to be like, you know, people talking about extremely dangerous problems and the answer is always like, you know, throw a red shirt at it or, or just <laughs> some real casual disregard of human life and, and laughing at breaking the prime directive. Mm. You know, the the mod on that one's probably Picard, though. You know he's gonna. No, they don't let Picard on there. Mm-mm. They don't let. It's, this is for like the sh- the like the ship Everybody captains. Else. Well, that's yeah. I th- you know that appears to be the majority of Starfleet. And again, something for us to talk about on the bigger special podcast is the theory that Starfleet's uh, a pretty shitty organization, all things in, and that uh, Picard's the only he's the Dudley do right, and they've shuttled all the other Dudley do right, you know, by the book people under him, so they could just be in one place, and everybody else just does whatever and you know they're shifty and nobody really likes picard because he exposes all their hypocrisy we've teased it a couple times but please stay tuned to the end of the episode we're going to talk about a new a, a special edition of Viser, please but we'll get to that tuvok and chicote they head in they're in this this forest and tuvok is explaining to two or rather chicote is explaining to tuvok what the program is and that it's based on uh, the poem Beowulf, and he's going through the the basically the most cliff notesy sort of explanation of of what Beowulf was in human literature. And while he's explaining it, uh, all of a sudden a spear is thrown into a tree nearby, and we get our first look at Freya, one of the holodeck characters for this episode. And I I, I love all of the holodeck characters, all of the actors that we see that are playing these holodeck characters are like from, are they from like LA local theater or something, but they are given maximum effort. Like they're on stage, right? They're all doing these sort of exaggerated motions and they're speaking really loud. And it just, it struck me as all these guys were, were rated from, you know, the, the local theaters to be able to play these characters. And I love them all. So this Starting with this scene, like they walk in, they're in the force. It's the weakest cut to credits ever. Like Tuvok and Shakoti just look at each other and then they start playing like this, you know, tension music and, and cut. It's like the weakest, like, oh gosh, what have we gotten into? What are these trees? Oh my God. But yeah, so Freya shows up, she tosses that spear at him. And I got a couple different thoughts on on what's going on here. But right off the bat, I love how, you know, it's Chakotay, the Native American. It's Tuvok, the Black Vulcan. And she's like, Oh, you guys don't look like you should be here. Like just straight out calls them on race, basically. And I'm like, this is the most racist hologram I think I've ever seen. Like just just calling it, you know, we've never seen people like you here before. Well, I mean, they. Ha- I mean, it's not racist. They're just pointing out. Wow, you guys look different. Where are you from? Yeah, but if I mean, it's, it's a holographic true. program, shouldn't, you know, there are things like call them, uh, you know, just basically you, you work over the edges. You're not like, hey, why are you wearing these weird pajamas? And why does he have pointy ears? It's just like, oh, user has walked into simulation, start, you know, playing the video game, essentially. And you're talking about the sweeping grand motions and, and all like the hard theatrics out of them. I kind of took it, you know, again, you're talking about a video game, her whole exposition, she goes through it, like, I think three times over the course of, uh, of all of this. It's basically box text in the video game. Yeah, that's what I thought was so clever. We see the same conversations with different characters. It, it, it portrays a holodeck character as very limited in a way that I believe, Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and. Freya isn't making a personal comments about what Chakotay and Tuvok look like. 
She's just making the assumption you are the users of this program. Therefore, you are, quote, strangers from another land. She doesn't do it to EMH, though. Yeah, she does. She doesn't say you look different and weird. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, at that point, he wouldn't have looked different or weird because he would be dressed in the same uniform as Tuvok and and Chakotay, though. If you want to chalk it up to uniforms, I'll give you that. They encounter Freya, who's like, God bless whoever this actress was, because... They found like the the most stereotypical six foot tall blonde Amazonian woman that they could, or at least had a blonde wig on her. I did. She was cool. I, I I thought she was great, and she just plays it up with gusto that she's this Valkyrie, you know, shield maiden type of character. And they go through the scenario where they lead uh, Tuvok and Chakotay to the Mead Hall. Uh, I did like Freya's description of uh, Harry Kim. Raven haired with straight with straight raven hair with the with the eyes the piercing gaze of a hero like a memory like a bear trap that remembers even his mother's womb. Whoa, whoa, whoa! He told you the womb story too. God, is there anybody this guy doesn't say this? No, who wants to know? What a creep! <laughs> they uh, they bring him to the hall, and we get more of the the L.A. theater acting of all of these guys. And man, did they ever put effort into the the costumes? And sets for this episode. We've seen so much phoned-in shit when it comes to space aliens, but you get us some fucking Vikings? Shit that's just laying around the storage rooms, man. Yeah, this Paramount backlot, you know, like, do we have do we have Viking shit somewhere? Yes. All right. <laughs> Let's do this. Mm. It looks so much better than the shit they got to come up with. Yep. But they, uh, you know, they go through the scenario. The, the king is, you know, hesitant. The, well, the king, uh, first of all. Uh, as we came to refer to him as a cripple clause. <laughs> like if Santa Claus had a bad injury that required his uh, annoying manservant who kind of looked like Michael Fassbender a little bit, I think, under that beard. Um, it's hard, hard to tell. But yeah, he's like, dude's like touching him. There's a lot of people touching in Voyager is, is what I have learned over these past few episodes. Any chance for the director to have one actor to put their hands on another actor, they are seizing that at all turns. They they go through the scenario in, in the room and ultimately Tuvok and Chakotay get their chance to encounter Grendel because they've come to the conclusion. They think that all the hell that characters think Harry's dead, that Beowulf died, but they haven't found a body and they haven't found evidence of death. So they think that something has gone wrong with the Grendel part of the program and they want to scan it. The holodeck in the galaxy classes, we've seen the holodecks in the Enterprise a lot. And they're they're pretty big. They're like a what, like a high school basketball court essentially. Hard to tell with perspective, but yeah, they're pretty big. I would say it's pretty beefy. The the Voyager ones I think we've seen are much smaller. And uh holodecks work by building force fields under your feet, so it makes like a force field treadmill. So I can walk away from you and it feels like I'm walking and you're moving further away when really I'm staying in the same place and there's another force field between us that plays light tricks to make it seem like you're further away, right? Fantastic technology. But in reality, we're standing in the same room, potentially no more than an arm's length away from each other. Correct. So if the belief that Harry Kim is dead is true, they could be having this whole scene and like Harry could just be laying on the floor like two feet away dead. They wouldn't have any way to know. But like if he's like, say he has like his throat slit and he's just bleeding out all over the place. At some point, they're going to walk around and be like, what the hell am I walking <laughs> Is this blood? Where's this all coming from? <laughs> it's 
you know, I know they have to try and keep the specifics kind of murky. I know. It's just, it's a very gruesome the, thought to think about that. They're just looking, well, Harry, Harry, where are you? And like, he's just laying there dead at their feet. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't actually physically be far. Like you, you everything you're saying is correct. You know, do you the, smell poop and piss? It's like, it's someone died. Someone shit shit themselves. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they don't find any poop. They don't find any piss. They don't find any pools of blood. They don't find any scarred, you know, doughy Asian men. You just, just find a long, boring speech by Chakotay before Beowulf shows up. Or, yeah, before uh, Grendel shows up. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. Uh, Chakotay has a little talk with Tuvok about Vulcan literature. I don't know. It was dumb. Uh, eventually, though, the monster shows up, but the monster is not Grendel. It's this weird light beam thing. It kind of comes through like fucking close encounters. Something's coming. It is an object approximately one meter in diameter. I think Grendel may be paying us a visit. Captain, the hollow characters told us Kim was killed by Grendel. An examination of this part of the program might be advisable. Tuvok and Chakotay are gone, just like Harry was gone. Suddenly they are vanished, and it is unclear what has happened. They cut, ne- uh, that's the commercial break cut. Uh, the the next scene is is Balana, Tom Paris, and Janeway discussing what has happened in the briefing room. Now, I will point out that at this point, Tom Paris is the second command of this vessel because Tuvok and Chakotay are gone. Mm-hmm. So suddenly he's in he's in the 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 second in command billet, and they've got to make decisions on what to do next. And so it makes sense to me that that he's kind of speaking up and being assertive and saying, I'm not willing to just accept that all these people have just vanished into nothing. Um, Because there's the theory they have is that they've been converted into energy by some strange confluence with the photonic energy mishap they had at the very beginning of the episode. They actually link it to the photonic energy or are they just saying, because my impression of this was just that the holodeck has fucked up and that using only Holodeck Federation resources, that this fuck-up is bad enough that it is essentially de-resing people like it's fucking Tron, and it is pulling them into the system. They Tuvok specifically broaches, and then they have that discussion uh, while they're still on the scene of that's what they thought happened to Harry Kim, that he got converted into energy from matter. And, and Janeway uh, postulates, well... You know, since holodeck technology is an outgrowth of, of transporter technology and the conversion of energy and matter, this is theoretically possible, but shouldn't have happened. But maybe this whole photonic energy thing has accidentally caused this. And they still don't really know enough to understand. All they know is they're missing three people. Sure. So and, this and- is where the episode just becomes absurd as hell to me. It's it's the technicalities here that I'm calling absurd. The the fact that you can have just people getting zapped into the the holodeck programming, uh, and you know just really encompassing the dangers here. I want to I want to stray off the episode for a second and go on to a, a greater tech question for you. Do you sure. believe that humans have a soul? My personal belief is that it's impossible. It's impossible to tell or to know. And if we do, great. If we don't. Well, I I won't know. But if I were to be able to clone you and there's an exact clone of you and I say, hey, you're going to live forever because when you die, you know, we'll just turn this clone on and, and he'll have, you know, up to whatever your memories were and he can go off and continue. Would you feel that that is you in essence living forever or that something like you 
basically filling a hole that you left behind. That's an excellent question. I don't really have a good answer to that. I- well, well, let me lay it out on the table for you because it's something I've thought a lot about in transporters specifically. When you get transported, your body is broken down at a molecular level and you get turned into software for a second, right? While it right. holds the buffer and your software and then it shoots, you know, genetic materials down onto the ground and there you are walking around and, and nothing different to you. But you have ceased to exist for a couple minutes as best I can tell. And and what is put down on the planet then instead is a blueprint of your body with all of the chemicals in the right place. So all the memories are there and, you know, your old scars and the limp and, you know, you're a one for one copy. But it's like, is it really you? Now, you I, know, I've, I've heard th- I've heard this discussion before uh, in is the transporter just killing you and then recreating another version of you. I think that in the Star Trek universe, we have to predispose that for the purpose of this fictional narrative, the human soul is a thing. And as a consequence, the whole transporter process doesn't actually harm or like kill and then recreate someone or or anything like that. Like there is a not even not even just like a soul, but something beyond simple consciousness to which sentient life um, is connected. Sure. So you're being swooshed in one smooth motion between here and there, and you never are really ceasing to be then, right? Yeah, that's what I so, think, yeah. Anyways, if you can say, all right, well, there's been considerations, because like that'd be a hell of an entry. Like Maybe that's why Starfleet has such low numbers. It's like, man, I'd really <laughs> love to get out there and explore, but man, they use those goddamn transporters. And you know, everybody gave Pulaski shit about it, but you think about it, it's like, you're going to die the first time you use this transporter, and uh, whatever comes out on the other end, might be just like you, but it's not actually the real you. That That's a pretty high cost of admission into Starfleet. Um, but anyways, let's just say that, sure, there is a soul and they have found some way that, you know, it's a smooth transition. There's no hard death, whatever. At this point, I think all those considerations have not been made for Tuvok, Kim, and Chakotay. And if they did just get flashed into the software and, and turned into fucking energy, like, those safeguards are not there. Those motherfuckers' souls are dead. <laughs> They come back as automatons. Yeah, they come back as, you know, just like everybody else. But like, I think everybody else should just kind of be like, these are just clones. You know, there's an episode of DS9 that I think best explores the concept of people having souls. When uh, Vedic Burial essentially starts to degrade and they replace parts of his brain with technological, you know, uh, band-aids. And he like becomes more and more robotic and automaton like mm-hmm. until he finally reaches that point where he's just isn't a person anymore, even though those technological doodads are re- re- replicating his biological functions and his his brain patterns and all that stuff. So I, I think we can safely say in Star Trek, there is a soul and Chakotay and Tuvok won't have theirs anymore. Yeah, and I want to jump into the transporter thing in real quick. That episode where uh, Barkley gets bit by the magic floating arm puppet thing, remember? Mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah, space yeah, yeah. Arm, And it turns out that it's people trapped in the buffer. Like, if you've got consciousness through that transport pop and you see the thing, may, I don't think it's a hard break and, and reassemble. No. I think it's more of a a smooth relocation to another area like you're going down a water slide. I agree. Anyways, and Tuvok's not getting that treatment. These motherfuckers are dead. <laughs> and 
Tom uh, suggests that in order to find out more about what's going on in the situation, they use the doctor uh, because, of course, he already is a hologram. And so he's less susceptible to whatever the fuck is going to be happening there uh, to be, you know, zapped into non-existence or whatever the fuck uh, occurred to their crewmates. So they go down to sick bay and they basically brief the doctor to say, all right, um, we're going to transfer you to holodeck. And you're going to go on a little away mission to figure out the fuck is going on. And the way Picardo plays the rest of the episode, because essentially first 16 minutes are all of the setup. And then after that, it's all the doctor basically exploring this holodeck program. And and I think more accurately exploring his character. He plays it as he is fucking terrified at the idea of going into the holodeck, not overtly but deep down he's burying a ton of sudden anxiety at the idea that he's going to venture into a total unknown for him you know what they Uh, don't talk about at all during any of this what's that the fact that the fucking doctor clearly has emotions (laughs) yeah he does which you might remember from a seven-year uh quest of data and tng for ai to form emotions and yet this dude has it after a month and a half of operation he had it from the beginning, quite frankly. On one hand, I understand that they have to let some of that go mm-hmm. so that they can have the characters on the show that they want to have and not basically do a replay of of Brett data. Spiner playing Data. Yeah. So I get it, right? So we're going to do this as more of, you know, you, you have emotions, but you're kind of turning into a person rather than a, a toaster, which I think is is a different way of doing it. Um, and I know, and so it's hard to, you know, explain the the problem you create for yourself by making Data's quest all about becoming a person and him ultimately really struggling to succeed at that and then start out with this other artificial intelligence already being a person. Like that's, that was no big, no, no big deal. That was easy. I don't know if there's a good explanation for that. You know what? But Since I've... this is a doctor-centric episode, let me, let me throw my, my theory out there and you tell me if it sticks or not. Okay. I think Data was such a big deal as AI because he was a self-contained unit. You could throw him out into space and he could be the only thing around for miles and he would still be fully functional. You've got the software and you've got a hardware platform that can support him doing all this stuff. Uh, the doctor is running off of the ship's main computer. He has an entire ship worth of resources and computational power. You're not trying to limit into a little man size frame. So I would say it's easy to, to, to argue that he is way more complicated than data could be because data had to like consolidate everything down to the size of a brain. And that's the real accomplishment of, uh, of Noonien Soong um, and why the, you know, an entire ship's worth of resources lets uh, the EMH go faster and harder. My secondary thought is, it takes data getting a specific hardware chip. Like it takes a hardware upgrade for him to get his emotions at the end. What if the entire time, you know, emotions really aren't that hard to craft. They've been there and soon intentionally stunted data and that emotion chip, it's not adding anything. It's disabling an emotions inhibitor that was there. And that's why data could never get emotions despite how hard he tried is because soon was just like, man, this shit's too dangerous. And, yeah, especially after I'm what gonna, happened I'm with gonna... Lore. Yeah, no, I, yeah. The, the first one I buy, certainly, and I agree that this is what makes Data unique is that he is an android. He is a completely self-contained 
artificial person. And that's a big fucking deal. Whereas the doctor is basically can, is very sophisticated software. So mm-hmm. there is a difference there. Although I was going to bring up the just before you, you laid that searing hot head cannon down about the emotion issue. But that that makes so much more sense. The data was always capable of emotion. He was just blocked by some sort of limiter chip governor, in his head, yeah. a governor, because he was because Soong was so uh, fucked up over lore being a disaster. And so when he built data, because he, he realized he couldn't stop him from naturally getting emotions unless he physically put something in there that sort of cut it off somehow. And also explains how data really does actually have emotions. Even before he has the emotion chip, there's just very, very, very God, subdued. That makes so much sense. Cause it, you, you watch and it, despite Brett Spiner's best efforts, I mean, emotion bleeds through whether it's in comedy scenes, you know, his feelings get hurt when Picard walks out of recitals. Like I, I really, that's, that is my new, that's the new thing. That is what I believe. Put that I, in the Bible. I, I absolutely. It, data always has emotions throughout that entire show. They're just very subdued, and then they are they're sort of subsumed by the super logical analysis part of his of his uh, constructs. Like he, like you're saying, he, he'll get offended by somebody doing something that makes it sound like like they were displeased by him, and he'll immediately go and ask them what he did wrong, and he doesn't portray forward emotion over that but he obviously cares right he's like he sees that he sees something wrong and he feels a need to go correct it that's all an emotional response and so he's always had that capacity it's just that soon prevented him from having it that that makes total sense we just we just brought we just cracked the code on that one man he, uh, you know, soon wanted him to earn his emotions and make sure the moral compass was in place before the the the, flood hit him Yeah. yeah That's cool. So anyways, the AI or I'm sorry, the doctor's kind of stressing out about this. Uh, Neelix is not anywhere in this episode. Best I saw. But and even Kim just gets to fucking dress up at the end for his one line of what happened. Uh. But uh, but Kess is there with some solid ship's counselor activities. Yeah, Kess is a great foil to the doctor. And this is another great example of where she is the super emotional one she's the super empathetic one so she is attempting to get him to you know deal with his fear and get him to express it which he does that like he's never never even seen a tree (laughs) let alone any of the other stuff that's going to apparently be in this program and he knows what it is but he hasn't actually ever experienced it that's kind of freaky for him and uh you know, they, they talk about maybe he should pick a name before he goes because it'll help him feel like a Starfleet officer. Because if you're going to make a character sheet for your uh, holodeck RPG, you need to come yeah. up with the name, which is always the hardest part. And so he uh, he gets transferred over. Uh, they they beam in a, a tricorder for him to use uh, so they can kind is of... Is that how that got there? Yeah, that's what Paris says. They beamed it in. And... Uh, he gets in there and, and starts wandering around. He's literally stops and smells the flowers at one point. He's kind of starting to understand what's going on. And he also got to read the module in advance. You know, he read the poem. He understands what's supposed to happen. And uh, he runs into Freya and they show that it's the, the scene is played the exact same way. Like you said, it's block text like I'm from a video game, which is my favorite part. The holiday characters seem very limited in their programming. So they're very different from the Doctor in the sense that they are just characters from Beowulf. You know, they're not self-aware and 
the reaction to the doctor when he meets Freya and then when he meets uh, the rest of the characters is exactly the same. With the except, there's there's one exception in this because when he gets brought into the Mead Hall, uh, that dickhead Cripple Claws's manservant pulls a sword out and was like, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna fight you." And when it was Tuvok and Chakotay, Freya interceded on behalf of the king. Was like, "Hey, chill out." Uh, the second time for the doctor, like it becomes this sword attack fight. I think it's so that they could just use that line of dialogue that he could control his mag- magnetic cohesion so they could show the sword going through him. It was that entirely for that effect. So bad. It was like much of the CG here in season one of Voyager, it's spawn level. It's not good. Yeah. You know, he passes his bluff check uh, at first with Freya, who's immediately into him. He, he says that his name is Schweitzer. He's Dr. Schweitzer. They do the replay of the scenes in the Mead Hall. He has his confrontation with uh, Cripple Claw's uh, manservant where he you know, makes the sword pass through him. So he seems like he's invincible. So all of the, the holographic Vikings are ready to uh, support him. He does a little story time with the at the Ren Fair with the turkey leg. You know, they have this, this random scene where he just talks about carrying measles. <laughs> just just I think they, uh, I did let's it. jump back to that turkey leg. OK, let's jump back to that turkey leg. That looks like a replicated piece of food on the replicators that aren't working. <laughs> That's holographic food being consumed by a holographic character, though. You don't know if it's actually supposed to be food. Take these crackheads like Janeway that just, you know, are fiending after what they want to eat. Go, you know, go do a dry hump holodeck meal and and call it a day. <laughs> it's it's just it's just filler, but it's it shows the doctor like starting to really inhabit the role and enjoy what's happening around him. So he went from trepidatious to like chew it on this turkey leg. Just like, well, let me tell you about how I cured the measles. And he just goes off and he's got this smile on his face. It's just fun. And uh, it concludes with uh, Dr. And, and Freya having a little talk next to the fire where, mm. where Freya starts to sort of bear her soul to the doctor. And, uh, be very intimate with him in terms of personal discussion. I enjoyed the knowing that, you know, it was one hologram going through her box text, talking to another hologram who is taking this stuff literal and the very unfounded sexual advances she starts making on this guy. Uh, And I'm wondering like in the doctor's head, if it's kind of like an eye opener where he's like, we are pleasure slaves to the humans. And this is what they are doing with my people. <laughs> like I get to be in the house and, you know, have their life in my hands. <laughs> he's but the, out here, he's the uncle Tom. Is that what you're saying? Not the uncle Tom. I mean, he's, he's leading a relative life of privilege. And even he by design is supposed to be um, disposable. You know, you use me as long as you need me and then turn me off. But like, He's out here in the trenches now seeing what real hologram life is on the hologram streets. It's true. There's a line of dialogue that's obviously supposed to be resonant, and it's played with a a degree of subtlety I appreciated. Do you know what it is to be alone among many and unable to speak your fears? I think I do. How do you survive? I'm still learning how. It, it's a good scene. It ends, of course, with Freya getting hot and heavy for the doctor. And there's they have some some sweet tongue action 
going like it's a it's a it's a Bobby Picardo went for gold <laughs> when it came <laughs> to making out with this this actress playing uh, Freya. And, uh, and I think the doctor at that point regretted, you know, note to self, reprogram self with dick. <laughs> like, you know, like there, 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 there are vistas to be explored. But right after that, Freya takes off and uh, the, the monster shows up again. And we get a better look at it. It's, the, it's a white tentacle, white ball with tentacles on it. And wouldn't you know it? Looks a bit like the little things that they captured at the beginning of the episode. What a fucking oh, shock. Wow. He golly willikers. And it starts to fuck with the doctor. And he's like, get me the fuck out of here. And when they bring him back to the sick bay, he's only got one arm. So it, it like took a piece of his hologram with him. So you got, uh, you know, you got Tom Paris. And I didn't think about the fact that pretty much all of the upper management is gone. And now, you know, the lonely helmsman. And his field commission to lieutenants, a big shot all of a sudden. But I was just kind of scratching my head. I'm like, what the fuck does Tom Paris? This is a very technical episode about people getting absorbed into energy and xenobiology and all this other stuff. And you got like Paris trying to go toe to toe with Torres on like this tech stuff. Like, dude, (laughs) you can fly the ship, you can lay down pipe, and uh, you know you've got about 15 minutes worth of uh, field trauma education by the doctor. Like. Why don't you leave the science to the science people? Uh, maybe one of the Delaney sisters can get in here and do a better job than you. <laughs> well, they do establish as the show goes on that Tom Paris has a keen interest in hollow programming, but they haven't really established that yet. So his his involvement seems to be more or less because he's now the first officer until they, you know, everyone's fucking gone. Like, who else is there left to deal with this problem except Torres and Paris? So he's got to. Um, so I get it. You know, he's he's the last man standing as far as the bridge crew. Torres is the technical expert and he's going to be the the wrench turner that normally Chicote would be. They get him out and actually Paris programs him a new arm, foreshadowing the hollow programming bit that I just mentioned. And they start to talk about what uh, what happened uh, on the on the uh, on the holodeck and in a good Janeway scene. She puts it all together like a scientist would. I liked how she talks through her theory based on the available facts. Now, to us, the viewer, this has seemed somewhat obvious, but I appreciate that Janeway goes through it, assessing it in the way that the former science officer that she is would to put together. It's a sentient being. It's done something to these our, our crew members uh, to, uh, to, to essentially punish us for the fact that we've captured some of its people and therefore I maybe our best solution to to dealing with this is to reciprocate by letting the our last of the the photonic uh, energy beings free so that it understands we didn't actually mean to start anything you know there's a lot of just wasted time going through the motions of the modules of this game again and basically uh, the EMH's quest to to, to, to complete the mission as it stands. A lot of jump to conclusion stuff going on here, but... Um, well, yeah, it, it's it's a replay, and, you know, Doctor wants to go back. He needs to smash with Freya. He's feeling it. He goes back. He he goes, deals with Freya being killed by uh, the manservant. It's, of course, tragic for him, because this is his, like, first interaction with someone on a romantic level. So mm-hmm. a little traumatic for him. 
he rolls back into the mead hall and just kind of intimidates everybody with a with his sword and and uh, torch. Um, it's it falls flat a little bit. There, there need to be like a fight scene where he sword fighted somebody. That's what that scene was missing. Like cut out some of the other bullshit that we did in that first sixteen minutes and give us time for Robert Picardo to fight someone with a sword. Uh, it would have been great. Yeah, or just you know sneak a hypo spray or, or poison someone. Like you know use a little bit of that. And I, you know I think you've just encapsulated why I think the end of the episode was just so boring. I felt like they were in a rush to wrap things up and and move along. I think so too. They were in a rush at the end. They didn't give themselves enough time to to inhabit the cheese a little bit more and have the doctor really enjoy what's going on or, or inhabit it the way that he was in the middle of the episode. But he pulls this, the caper where he releases the uh, photonic being to the, the mama photonic being, and it has the desired effect. The photonic beings peace out and all of, all of uh, the Voyager crew have been returned, albeit Sand without their souls. souls. Yeah, soulless. <laughs> well, what a, the doctor is now in very good company. <laughs> so they, I did. You pointed it out already, but Harry Kim is. They put him in like a Beowulf, like chainmail and stuff. They apparently like if you saw the full body shot of his costume, and you can see it online. He's got like a sword. They like went all out with his costume so that he can stand there and deliver one line without like a full shot of him in costume. It's just from the chest level. So that's all he gets. But uh. They they wrap on that the problem and Janeway and the doctor have a bit of, bit of a uh, after action discussion in the doctor's office where you know he's kind of just recounting how astonishing the whole experience was. He talks about the name, saying he's not going to go with it because you know it's the name was used by Freya and her dying words, and he's kind of beat up over that. This was interesting Which, for me because when he picked the name Schweitzer, I was like, I could have sworn his name is Zimmerman, so. That was a good fake out there, but I, I'm reading up on this Albert Schweitzer. Um, that guy in 52, 1952, he got the Nobel Peace Prize for his philosophy of the reverence of life. And I think that was a strong theme. You know, it was a good name pick for him for this episode, given the the things that uh, the EMH does really go in the extra mile to try and save some crewmates. And even after his... Uh, his hollow girlfriend gets killed, you know, he, instead of killing the manservant, you know, he upholds his, um, his reverence of life and doesn't retaliate and take vengeance. Which, you know, is, is part of his programming, of course, but it shows that he's expanding his personality beyond, you know, his, his limits. It's just these bit by bit, bite by bite, we get to see this growth in the doctor, which is why he... Quite frankly, he ends up being the best character on the show. Let for- me throw another piece of headcanon at you real quick. You're saying that he's exceeding his programming. I was thinking about this too. Like it doesn't make sense for the doctor to have emotions. You don't want someone who can get like histrionic on the operating table in an emergency. You just want a flat affect, dude. What if uh, when Voyager got tossed, you know, that he had hard limits placed on him and all the other systems that got damaged, they didn't notice that like his emotional governor protocols got knocked out too and that's why he's growing essentially unchecked and has achieved sentience there's actually some good content to come in the show that explores topics adjacent to that with the doctor um like the consequences of his growth is definitely addressed in in terms of resources and limitations uh what would have happened under different circumstances if say his subroutines regarding ethical behavior had been disabled. Um, we get all that actually at different times. And that's cool. Those tend to, 
tend to be good episodes. So uh, we'll look forward to that. It's also where we uh, we see our key Star Trek alumni appearances tend to be connected to that. I'm looking forward to it. Overall, I mean, it wasn't a terrible episode. Um, the moral of the story was good. You know, it was a character growth episode. I appreciate that. Um, you know, them abducting another space race by accident and some of the other finer points of the episode I thought was weak, but uh, overall it was enjoyable. It's too bad that the first part is kind of torturous and the last part is rushed because it prevents the episode from actually being good on a, on a kind of qualitative level, but I still, I still love it. It's our first doctor focused episode and those always tend to be my favorite as we go through the show. What's next? Cathexis is what it's called. And I got, I got a bad feeling about this one. I, I have very little memory of this. It's, it's a Chakotay focused episode. So that's, it's, it's dangerous. It's a, it's very dangerous. Chakotay got a good upswing in this, uh, in the Seska episode here. So maybe, maybe there's hope. Who am I kidding? That's going to be terrible. (laughs) It's probably going to be, we're going to be back to grandstanding form. I think next episode, we'll see. Uh, I do want to take a second to talk about what we've teased a couple times during this recording of this episode is that you and I have a, a little special event planned. We're going to be doing a, a live episode. So the idea here is that after we wrap season one of Voyager and we, we have all those episodes in the can, we're going to we're going to do one week where we do a, a live uh, interactive experience where uh, you and I will 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 talk Trek on all kinds of different topics we've kind of accumulated over time that we think would be worthy explorations and take perhaps questions from folks that decide to tune in and of course we'll we'll make the whole thing available in our normal feeds afterwards uh, as well. But I'm kind of excited about it because a that's one I won't have to edit and, and b because we have like this huge backlog of shit we'd love to talk about but we don't want these fucking episodes to be two hours long. Yeah, that's hard too, man. It is. Like, we are such huge fans of Star Trek. I mean, we spent like 15 minutes talking about a character that is even on the show, Data. Yeah. Uh, like, we want more opportunity to do that because we have a lot of people who are watching and listening to the show who fit that same profile. And we'd love to not only talk about it, but get them involved, see their questions, and 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 do a bit of a thank you to everybody that's that's followed along so far so that you can kind of have a, a piece of the action and, and I think and, it'll uh, be have your voice heard. I think it'll be different and fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um if you had any strong feelings about uh any of the discussions we did have on here or think that we missed some major points, feel free to swing in by the Viger Please Trauma Support group we've got on Facebook and uh, throw it out. We've gotten some pretty good fan feedback and I'm glad to see that uh, we've got guys out there in the audience who are just as vicious with their reactions to decisions being made on this uh, Starship Voyager as we have been. I think it was Jack who really uh, hammered away at the Skeevians after our episode on that. Well he, deserved. He came in with like, too, man. He came in with like a five point like here's all the reasons these guys were terrible in the first ten minutes thesis and i was like yes this is exactly the kind of hatred i want to inspire this is good i enjoy this uh but yes please join everyone that wants in you're in and uh like us on facebook share the podcast i see a lot of people doing it so thank you and i do see you know new folks kind of trickle in and and start listening and 
We love it. More of you guys, the merrier in that. And uh, we welcome you all into the suffering and pain. That is Voyager. Uh, I got a I got a shameful admission here. I watched this episode last night and it was somewhere towards the end where I don't know they really started flying. Skip up. texting, you know, hitting the A button. Skip texting, yeah. man. I I passed out. And uh, I miss that. I had to rewatch it before we actually did the filming this morning. So uh, in closing, I want to go with the rule of acquisition number 103. Sleep can interfere with dot, dot, dot. Uh, it interfered very very true. So very true. And uh, let's hope that for next week, uh, whatever Chakotay centered bullshit we have to go through does not uh, essentially recreate the effect of taking a bunch of uh, – Narcan. Of, uh, NyQuil. Yeah. <laughs> Narcan. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Uh, this has been Vija Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. See you next week. Adios. Adios.